from Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm at my producer, Zen Rogers, recording this at my home studio, since we're limiting our office hours due to the spread of the Omicron variant. As for today's episode, that's what we're going to be talking about, Omicron. This January, Alaska saw its highest spike in COVID cases due to this latest variant. Testing facilities were overwhelmed and hospitals remained strained. Luckily though, death rates did not rise with cases. To learn more about Omicron, ATME producer Grady Cutchins sought out a clinical pharmacist. And he didn't have to go far. His father, Coleman Cutchins, is a board-certified clinical pharmacist working with the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Uh, I'll be asking some questions that you know that I know the answer to. But uh, since we're doing this interview for the listeners, just pretend like I don't know the answer to the questions. Okay? Yes. They sat down in the Cutchins household to talk about Omicron, how it differs from past variants, its effects on vaccine hesitancy, and what could be next in the pandemic. They spoke on January 30th, 2022. Um, so as a clinical pharmacist, what are the specifics of your job? So if you look at how pharmacists are trained, um, you know, we, we our degree is a doctor of pharmacy. You know, it's a four-year degree, post-bachelor's, just like an MD. Um, residency and training is much different, though. Uh, pharmacists do a lot more training on drug development, you know, how drugs act in the body, how drugs move through the body, how drugs interact with one another, um, you know, and then also a lot more about the, you know, the FDA approval process, you know, we're, we're pretty much uh, drugs experts inside and out. Can you explain what role a clinical pharmacist and their expertise has in the pandemic compared to like other professionals? So I think the key roles that pharmacists, um, you know, are, are focused on in the pandemic are, are things that we've seen, like, you know, the FDA approval process, you know, everyone had questions about, you know, how the vaccines were developed as fast as they were, how they were approved as fast as they were. Um, and then also, you know, we're, we're talking about a viral pandemic, um, you know, with viral infections, the old saying is, you know, in, in viral infectious disease is mitigation, not medication, you know, which we want to do as much as we can to prevent infection. You know, in the pharmacist part of that is, is definitely vaccine, but then also in terms of treatment with antivirals, um, you know, that we, we do have some now, which is really great news, that it's more of a medical treatment with medications than surgical treatments, except for when, you know, or interventions, except for when patients are really um, quite ill, you know, more severely ill patients in the hospital, then it's a lot more of managing, you know, their fluids and their oxygen and, and a lot of the other um, things that happen in the body due to the severe illness. So uh, how has the pandemic affected your job, both the work you do and like where you actually physically work? So the pandemic has, has affected my job in terms of that is almost all I have dealt with for the last uh, two years, you know, we're, we're what we just passed the two year anniversary of the Wuhan flight. So really, it's been, um, you know, 24 seven, seven days a week, you know, nothing but pandemic. Uh, when I was brought on to the state of Alaska Department of Health, um, a little over two years ago now, you know, right before the pandemic started, um, it was to focus on a lot of opioid work, as well as assist some of the other um, projects for Department of Health. So Ever since then, it's been, 
pretty much eat, sleep, and breathe uh, COVID-19. With the new Omicron surge, what, what exactly is Omicron and what makes it different from the other variants? So I think it's important to remember that, you know, viruses are very different from one to the next, you know, just like animals are very different from one to the next. You know, there, there isn't a whole lot that a, you know, mouse has in common with an elephant or a blue whale. So viruses are very different. So when we think about the type of virus that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is, the, the, the virus that causes COVID-19, um, it, it's an RNA-based virus. Um, and they mutate. It's what they do. You know, they really don't have good spell checkers. I also think it's important to remember that viruses aren't living. You know, we use the term live virus, but that's really a misnomer. You know, viruses, they, they don't have their own metabolism and they can't reproduce on their own. So every time someone new gets infected with the virus, it replicates a lot. And every single time it replicates or a new chance for the virus to mutate in a new variant. Most of the time mutation occurs, it's something that isn't significant. You know, if, if it mutates and it causes the virus to die off quicker, you know, those are the lineages that don't take hold. So with with the variants that we've named, you know, we've gone off the, the Greek alphabet naming, um, you know, and Omicron was the next Greek letter. What's more concerning, well, what's different with Omicron and then also what's, what's most concerning so what's different with Omicron is there are a lot more mutations to the outer spike protein. So that's the portion of the virus that interacts with the body. That's the portion of the virus that, you know, binds our cells and gains entry. That's also the portion of the virus that our immune system responds to um, in terms of identifying it. And that's also the portion of the virus that some of our drug classes, mainly monoclonal antibodies, bind to and identify. So with how many variations there have been on that spike protein, it, it's changed the virus considerably um, to the point where we see less vaccine effectiveness, specifically in those who have not yet been boosted and are eligible, which is really why there's a very strong recommendation for, you know, if you've completed your initial vaccine series and, and you're eligible for booster and haven't yet, you know, get boosted. That's, that's the best protection you can have to Omicron. Um, the other thing that the amount of spike mutations has been unfortunate for is really up until the week of Christmas, um, we only had one drug class for outpatient treatment options being monoclonal antibodies. So monoclonal antibodies, what they are is they're synthetically produced antibodies. So they're, they're um, done in various lab tissue cultures where they, they essentially inject these tissue cultures with um, something like a vaccine that you know that, that the tissue responds to it it makes antibodies um, they actually hybridize these these cells then to make them all consistent and then on the end of that monoclonal antibody you have a target so monoclonal antibodies are extremely specific um, you know we have about 200 formulations of monoclonal antibodies on the market in the US um, you know there are specific monoclonal antibodies to treat breast cancer to treat uh, different types of leukemias to treat prostate cancers, then also monoclonal antibodies to treat autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease and ulcerated colitis, and then also monoclonal antibodies to treat certain infections like RSV and now COVID two. So, with a monoclonal antibody, you know you you couldn't use you know citrovimab, which is one of the 
SARS-CoV-2 monoclonal antibodies, say to treat breast cancer, um, you, you couldn't use one of the breast cancer monoclonal antibodies to treat SARS-CoV-2. So they, they have very, very specific binding domains. So with, uh, I guess to make a long story short, with the mutations to Omicron, we have lost, it, it's mutated to the point where two of the three um, monoclonal antibodies for SARS-CoV-2, we have three different products, the Regeneron product, which is carizivimab and endevimab, as well as the Lily product, bamlanivimab and estesivimab, um, are both, both won't bind Omicron. You know, it, it's changed to the point where they don't match up. It's kind of like a lock and key and the, you know, the key on the end of the monoclonal don't match up with the lock, say, on the, on the Omicron. So citrovimab, the other commercially available monoclonal antibody we have, is maintaining activity, but, you know, unfortunately lost two of our three drug classes. Kind of some good news about Omicron, though, is that um, all of the data, it seems to be a lot, cause a lot less severe disease. Um, it's a lot more transmissible. Um, how much? We don't it's hard to gauge, but it did very quickly outcompete Delta. Um, so so we, we have reason to believe it's, it's more easily transmissible and easier to spread. But the good news is um, we are seeing less hospitalizations um, and less severe disease. And that being said, it still isn't mild. You know, it still isn't something that's, you know, benign, um, but it is causing, you know, less severe disease than the other variants. So how quickly did Omicron take over Delta? You know, uh, the, the conditions were different and it's hard to compare, you know, when one thing occurred to the other. But, you know, when we think about when Delta took over, um, you know, from our first case identified in the United States of Delta to um, the time when it was over 95% of our cases, it was about 14 weeks, 12, 14 weeks, somewhere in there. Um, but by the first identified case to the time that it took over is really 95% of our cases. With Omicron, it was more like three or four weeks. So we just saw this massive increase of, you know, like less than 10% of our cases to like half to like 80% to like, you know, well over 90. Now we're, we're somewhere in the 98 or 99% of our cases um, in the U.S. And, and here in Alaska, most of our communities are, are expected to be Omicron. So how does Omicron affect people differently than previous strains, like in terms of symptoms and not in terms of like how infectious and stuff like that? There's still a lot of unknown with Omicron, you know, um, I mean, part of the problem with, with, I should say problem with science is it's constantly evolving. Um, and a lot of times the research, the research process really takes a while. So, you know, when, when we're talking about, you know, what do we know? Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but we, but, you know, if you've listened to the scientists, you listen to the experts, we say, I don't know a lot or we can't be sure, but this is what we think so far. So with Omicron, you know, we, we only really have been in this surge for about a month, you know, maybe a little bit longer, kind of a middle of December was really when it surged. So we're, we're still really in our infancy. So what we're seeing with Omicron is um, a lot of people are getting infect infected you know, including those who were previously infected with other strains, including those who are vaccinated, including those who are, you know, vaccinated and boosted. I think it's important to remember that, you know, having immunity, you know, either from previous infection or from vaccine is not, you know, an, a magical force field that surrounds your body. You know, if you're exposed to, to the virus, it still enters your body. You know, it still replicates to some degree. You know, the difference is with 
you know, um, your body can respond quicker. So what we're seeing again is, you know, the, the people that are fully vaccinated, boosted, most of them are having pretty mild symptoms, you know, something you would think more with like the cold or flu, even to the point of, you know, what you would think of a fairly bad cold or flu, but not to the point of, you know, needing hospitalization or needing for further medical care. Um, but that's being said, you know, it still is causing severe disease in some people, but the proportion of people that are getting infected is less. Now, the other concern is with Omicron, where it is so much more easily spread, you know, if you infect kind of everyone all at once, it can still overwhelm our hospitals. It could still, um, you know, cause a lot more severe disease. You know, I kind of think about it like if everyone in Alaska got a cold on the same day, you know, it would be really bad. If everyone got the flu on the same day, if everyone, you know, if they got in a car wreck on the same day, it would be bad. So we still don't want everyone to be affected all at once. But but as terms of per infection, it is seems to be causing, you know, less of those severe hospitalization and death type infections. You already addressed gene medications, but uh, I heard through the grapevine that Omicron may be immune to the vaccine too. How accurate is that? So I will say, uh, you know, none of these, none of the vaccines or medications for SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 are, are what we consider gene therapy or gene medications. Um, you know, gene therapy are, is this conceptual thing of like changing your genes in your body or changing your genetics to address disease um, where, you know, none of the, none of the vaccines, none of the monoclonal antibodies, none of the antivirals um, affect your genome as a person. Um, so in terms of a vaccine, you know, we are seeing some reduced vaccine effectiveness, how much it, it's difficult to tell, but what we are seeing is really the people who are up to date on their vaccine series, you know, um, are accounting you know, most of our hospitalizations, most of our severe diseases, you know, well over 95, 98, 99%, depending on the region are all in those who are unvaccinated or not up to date. So, you know, even with Omicron, you know, we didn't, we didn't lose vaccines. The vaccines aren't ineffective. It's just really important that you're up to date on your series. And so for teenagers like you, it, it's important to remember um, a lot of the teenagers who received their initial vaccine series um, when it first became available are now eligible for booster. So uh, 12 and ups, you know, the first 12 and ups got approved in May. Um, you know, so, so kids in that age got their second dose like June-ish. So, you know, now that boosters are authorized in that age group, you know, if you're more than five months out from your initial mRNA series it's of Pfizer, because Pfizer was the only group that was authorized for that one, it's, it's time to get your booster. Um, so just to reiterate, the vaccine and the medications do not change your genes, correct? They do not. So in, uh, you know, the, the mRNA-based vaccines, you know, mRNA stands for messenger RNA. Um, and it's a message, you know, our cells use messenger RNA all the time to do almost all of our cellular functions. For those out there, you know, high school students who are taking advanced or AP biology, you're probably learning about mRNA and, and it's a, it's a one way message. So it's, I always think about it like in the old spy movies, you know, as soon as you read this message, it'll be destroyed. So when our body reads a, a section of mRNA, it destroys the mRNA while it's being read. That mRNA then is broken down into the pieces of, that are that are universal base pairs for mRNA. 
um, and, and recycled and used again. But but our body, human bodies, do not have the ability to turn RNA into DNA or use RNA to alter DNA. Um, there are some some bacteria and there are some viruses that have enzymes that can do that, but human bodies um, cannot. And with the monoclonal antibodies, although they are a biologic product, they contain you know these hybridized antibodies that have you know a human end on one end and and either a, a primate or a mammalian or a bacterial end on the other end. Um, you know they also are, are antibodies that work with our immune system and don't have a way to change our genetics. Coming up next, Cutchins talks about how Omicron complicates vaccine hesitancy, as well as cold and flu season. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. So if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining AppMe, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. You can also email us at news at Now back to Grady's interview with his dad, Dr. Coleman Cutchins. Omicron, like you said, has been proven to infect individuals who are vaccinated. But of course, they still get, you know, less severe symptoms and they're not as likely to die. But do you think that this could have an effect on people who are already hesitant about the vaccine? You know, I I do. Unfortunately, we are seeing that. I think it's important for everyone to remember how vaccines work and what they do. Like I said, they are not a magical force field that protects you from, you know, the body, the, the virus not entering your body. They just allow your body to respond quicker. You know, I remind everyone that with this virus and the reason we had the pandemic is because it caused a lot of severe disease. It caused a lot of people to get hospitalized. It caused a lot of people to die. You know, you're talking about second and third leading causes of death in the United States in you know 2020 and 2021. I mean, very, very high mortality. And then also morbidity, you know, people spend a lot of time in the hospital and, you know, now we're learning a lot more about the long-term effects of the virus. You know, I mean, there are people that months down the road to years down the road are still having fatigue. They're still having shortness of breath. You know, there was a recent medical study published that showed a pretty significant increase in onset of type one diabetes in adolescents who were infected with the virus in the following year. So, you know, it's, it's not the kind of virus that, you know, we really wanted to mess around with. So, but that being said, you know, for the vaccinated people boosted up to date, who it's causing mild illness, you know, if this virus had caused more mild illness, similar to what we would think of from the common cold, we wouldn't have had the pandemic in the first place. So I think it's important, I guess, in summary, you know, I think it's important what we really want our vaccines to do is prevent severe disease. You know, I mean, that's what our our vaccines have all done in the past, you know, the flu vaccine, measles, mumps, polio, chickenpox, you know, we just, we want to prevent people from getting severely sick, um, but it doesn't necessarily eliminate the virus from infecting you. So with it being cold and flu season, people are going to get the sniffles, a cough, and all sort of, of symptoms that may or may not be COVID. So 
at what point should someone get tested for COVID? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, one of the one of the difficult things with this virus is really its nonspecific symptoms. Um, you know, it's it would have been a whole lot easier to identify if you had a very specific symptom, you know, say like Ebola did. You know, if you're bleeding from your eyes, you've probably had Ebola, where with 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 SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19, unfortunately, it's very nonspecific symptoms. So a couple things. So anytime you have any symptom that could be COVID, you should get tested. Um, what we really worry about with the tests, though, are false negatives. Those are when you test negative, but you are, in fact, infected. So I kind of remind everyone, you know, we don't want to be spreading SARS-CoV-2 around. We don't want to be spreading the flu around. We don't want to be spreading RSV around. We don't want to be spreading, you know, one of the many viruses that cause the common cold. So the best thing you can really be doing, and, and I hope that this is one of our takeaways from the pandemic that we get better at, is, you know, stay at home when you're sick, regardless of what you're sick with. You know, we don't want to be, you know, infecting people with whatever virus we're carrying. Um, and if you do have symptoms, vaccinated, previously infected, unvaccinated, get tested. You know, if you're negative and sick, you know, try not to be around others. And then a lot of times with, with, with this virus, it's good to even get tested again. You know, if you're sick, you have possible symptoms, you get tested, it's negative, you know, testing again in a, in a few more days or again in a couple days, you know, get the more negatives you have in a row, the more likely that that negative really is, is a true negative. When someone does test positive for COVID, how do they know what variant they have? And does that even matter for a person to know that? It's a really good question. Um, so there's no way to know what variant you have when you test positive. You know that these tests are are binary. They're they're positive and they're negative. So that none of the tests have the ability to tell you if you're infectious or not. None of the tests have the ability to tell if you're going to get sicker at the time or going to get better. You know they just give you a yes or no answer. There are some ways to tell um, for possible variants, and there's some ways to tell exactly what variant. So the first way with Omicron is there was a certain gene that was a target of some of the molecular PCR assays called an S-gene target. Um, Omicron failed at the S-gene target asset part of the assay, where Delta didn't. So for labs, um, you know, one of the first ways they can tell within the first day or so. Um, you know, after you get tested, once they run the assays, if it has an S gene target failure, you know, right now, yeah, it could be Omicron. It's likely to be Omicron. If it doesn't have an S gene target failure, you know, it's, it's not Omicron, but it could be another variant. So then how we know for sure is, is through genetic sequencing of the viruses. And, and here in Alaska, we're doing some of the highest proportion of sequencing of any of our positive cases. Um, but that takes about two weeks really after uh, your initial positive. So most people are long recovered um, by the time anybody knows, you know, what variant it is. Another, I guess, unfortunate thing or, or diff difficult thing is the way that variants are sequenced isn't a um, reportable condition really to, to, to patients. So you're not going to get a call two weeks later saying, hey, you had Delta or you had Omicron. Um, it's more for surveillance, and surveillance is when we think about looking at the population as a whole. So when we think about surveillance, that's kind of everybody, you know, how many positives we have in the population, how many Omicron. Um, but on the other side of it, 
in terms of clinically they're for the most part you know it doesn't matter as much what variant you have I, I, there is a little bit of difference with omicron that i'll go into but you know just like we don't want to be spreading omicron we don't want to be spreading delta we don't want to be spreading any of the variants so if you're positive not spreading it to others you know where where it could actually make a pretty big difference with omicron is the fact that again two of our three commercially available monoclonal antibody preparations are ineffective against omicron but they work against delta so there are some test companies right now trying to come up with a rapid way to determine, you know, is this a variant that we could use these a more targeted treatment option to that maybe isn't effective against all the variants. So when we talk about, you know, general treatment with antimicrobials, we would say like empiric, you have to do empiric treatment unless you know what your specific organism is. So it'd be great. If we did have a test that could rapidly determine if it was Omicron, you know, companies are working on that. But as of right now, you know, we just don't. We hear so much about Omicron, but what happened to the earlier variants? Did they disappear or are they still out there? That's a good question. You know, I mean, there is still some Delta circulating and, and Delta was by far our predominant variant um, before the Omicron surge. You know, before that we had you know, alpha and we had beta and we had, uh, I forgot the Greek letters, but we, you know, we had P1 and B351. There are probably pockets in the world where they're still circulating. Um, and we do still pick one up every once in a while, you know, here on our genetic sequencing in Alaska. But, you know, what we really think about is, you know, with right now, I mean, Omicron's, you know, well over 95, 98% of our circulating strains. So the other ones are still out there, but most people are being infected with, with whatever the dominant strain is. Um, so the Omicron variant was first detected in South Africa, and just after it spiked, it started to die down. Do you think that'll kind of happen here like it did in Britain and South Africa in those places? You know, I think it's I think it's difficult to say what will happen in another country will happen here. Um, there are just so many variables, you know, um, I will say that although Omicron was first identified in South Africa, we don't know if it originated there, you know, they were just the first place to pick it up on sequencing. Um, there's a lot of variables to determine how fast cases go up and down. One of them being testing, um, you know, they are not doing a whole lot of testing in, in the Southern part of Africa. Um, you know, so if you're not doing a lot of testing, you're not catching cases and therefore your case rates look very different than countries say like the UK and Israel where they're testing massive numbers of people all the time. So, you know, so the first thing is if, if a country is not doing much testing, their case rate isn't going to look the same as a country who is doing a lot of testing. The next thing is, um, you know, the, the, the biggest way that we can quickly affect cases is through what we call non-pharmacologic interventions. Those are things like, you know, isolating when you're positive, quarantining if you're exposed, universal masking, distancing, you know, not gathering with other people. So if we were to take, say, a country and as soon as they started a surge, you know, they went on a mandates and nobody could gather and they closed businesses and they shut everything down. I mean, though that th those type of interventions would 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 stop cases from spreading, you know. But but if you just looked at the number of cases on paper and didn't know that that's what they were doing, you know, things would look different. Um, 
you know, from, from Europe, you know, we probably have more in common with Europe. Europe. Most of Europe is still doing a lot more testing per capita than we are in the U.S. Um, you know, they, a lot of those countries have really high vaccine rates. You know, you specifically mentioned like the U.K. I mean, much of the U.K. is like 95, 96, 98 percent um, vaccinated. So they went up real quick. They came down real quick. So uh, that is kind of the pattern we're seeing. But from what we've seen with all of the other variants and all the other surges is we don't, the U.S. doesn't really follow the same pattern as a lot of the rest of the world. You know, we really saw that here in Alaska with the Delta surge. You know, we had one of the longest, most intense Delta surges in Alaska of, of anywhere. Um, you know, we, we led the nation for, I think it was seven weeks in cases during Delta, which was unfortunate. And, you know, nowhere that I'm aware of, you know, had led for that long with any of the other previous surges. So given that we have different variants of COVID and how Omicron was more transmissible but less severe than Delta, do you think that there's another variant that's just around the corner? And what do you think it could look like? Well, I think it's pretty safe to say there is another variant around the corner. You know, just like I talked about earlier, I mean, these viruses mutate. It's what they do. You know, uh, what we want to happen through the, through the variants is that we get variants that cause less severe disease. You know, if, if when we get kind of the next variant causes less severe disease, then it sort of, you know, fizzles its way out, so to say. Um, the other thing is, you know, we're, when we have more and more of the population um, with immunity, either from vaccine or from infection, then the more of those people, the less risk we have. You know, we still do get a lot more um, predictable and consistent um, immunity through vaccine, much more so than from infection. We're seeing a lot more people um, that were previously infected with one of the other strains get 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 sick with with omicron that being said you know it's, it's hard to know exactly what's around the corner i mean i guess i could talk what we don't want to happen you know what would be kind of bad is if we had a variant that say mutated to the point that um we didn't have any um immunity from previous exposure or from vaccine you know that would be we would call those, you know, a variant of high consequence. So if it if it evaded immunity from previous infection or vaccine, that would be, you know, bad. That's what we don't want. Um, but you know, it's it's just kind of too soon to tell. You know, I, I feel like personally, I, I've stopped trying to guess what's going to happen next. You know, when you see a light at the end of the tunnel, it can either be a light at the end of the tunnel or it can be a train. So I've stopped trying to guess what's going to happen next. So I know that this is a very intense time to be working in medicine with all of the misinformation and variants and issues and like all of this stuff. So like, what do you do in your free time and what do you do to decompress? In my, my free time, um, really enjoy spending time with my family. I think if one of the positives of the pandemic is that um, I think, you know, we've grown a whole lot closer and done a whole lot more things together. You know, really enjoy enjoy the outdoors in the winter. It's uh, you know skiing and walking the dog, and in the summer it's biking and camping and fishing. So I think if anything, it's just really given me a lot more appreciation for um, the blessings and the, and the good things I have, and and then doing as spending as much time as I can with that, even under high workloads. Um. So one additional question: uh, What are you doing tomorrow? What am I doing tomorrow? Tomorrow I am probably uh, 
coaching some uh, young uh, teenagers at Slalom at LA Esco. Any specific young teenagers? Uh, probably my two kids. Which two kids? One of them being you and Nadia. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you for your time, Dad. That was At Me producer, Grady Cutchins, speaking with his father, Dr. Coleman Cutchins, a clinical pharmacist with the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. You've been listening to Podcast in Place from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost, with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, and we have included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including United Way of Anchorage for the Healthy Communities Funding Program. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the United Way of Anchorage or the Municipality of Anchorage, Anchorage Health Department. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Zen Rogers. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.